The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast via BBC Sounds. This week, Jeff Hodge, he's my special guest, taking your calls on everything from cucumbers, wisterias and apple trees. We've also got some top tips on things you could be getting on within the garden, plus our plant of the week. We go straight to your calls, and this week we start with Bill from Mark's Tay. Hello, Bill. Hello, Ken. Good morning to you and Jeff. Happy New Year. A bit late, but still. No, you're not allowed to do it. It's, it's illegal to say <laughs> Happy New Year after the 10th. Oh, is it really? Yeah, yeah, they'll come and arrest you if you say oh, it too often. They, yeah. they can take me to court, I don't care. <laughs> what can we do for you? Right, Ken, I've got a very well-established wisteria up the back of the garden, and it's grown all over the timber pagoda I, I built up there many years ago. Very nice. So, but unfortunately, uh, I mean, I hate clearing up the, when it starts dying off in the winter months. It's a bit of a nuisance. But anyway, unfortunately, the timbers need replacing on the pagoda. Now, I've been up there and had a look. I've got to get some acro props. But uh, how... Harshly, can I trim that wisteria back? <laughs> Jeff, you can be quite harsh, can't you? You can. In fact, winter is the time to prune uh, wisteria for flowers. Yeah. So I would basically be cutting it back as, as hard as you need to. Well, when you say as hard as you need to, I can go a bit crazy. So I'm the sort of person that you want your worst enemy to cut your roses. But anyway, no, actually, you're probably the, you're probably the best person to cut roses. Well, yeah, people don't person, people yeah. don't prune their um, roses hard enough. You should be cutting hybrid teas down to four to six inches from ground level. But oh, really, really, all hybrid you... teas. I, I don't know what they are from anything else. But anyway, back to the wisteria. Bill, I've Bill, got, what you've got, got a... a couple of main stems That's... which are six inches in diameter, growing over the top of the pagoda. Yep. It is them, really, the weight of them, which are forcing some of this wood, which has gone rotten over the years, forcing it down. That's why I've got to rebuild part of it. Can I cut through those six inches, five inches, six inches bits? Yeah. I know I'm going to lose an awful lot. Yeah. But I'm hoping I'm not going to kill the wisteria. Be no. worth keeping some of the side stems off that main branch, wouldn't it? Shortening them, I mean. Yeah, but if it's you know if it's if you've got twelve foot of growth. Uh, and six foot of it is in the way and needs to be removed, you should be able to get rid of six foot of growth quite easily. I, I, yeah, tell you... I mean, the other alternative is to hold the timbers up and cut where this stuff is, uh, where the wisteria plant, the big thick bits, are pushing the timbers down, cut a bit out when I put a new bit up. I don't want to do that. I thought if I could cut that off before it gets to the wisteria, yeah. it would make it a lot, lot more simpler to put the pagoda up. If, if it was me doing it, the first thing I would do is to try and carefully, without putting too much force on, on, the, on the wisteria, move it away from the supports yeah. and yeah. then that's, see... That's awkward because it goes right away across the front of it. Okay, well then I would I would be taking most of the most of that lateral growth off. Yeah, I know, I know the wife's going to moan if I cut it down because it's such a beautiful uh, uh, yeah. 
I mean, well, it'll, it'll probably it, take yeah. a couple of years to put new growth on to recover and start flowering yeah. profusely I mean, I, again. I have the acro prop, so I can put a scaffold board on them and jack it up so I can raise it up a bit and maybe put the new, more substantial timbers in yeah. and lower it down onto it. But I just wonder, I don't want to go and cut any off if I'm going to kill the whole plant. No, you won't kill it, but uh, obviously it's going to take a couple of years before it gets you know enough regrowth to flower profusely again. And talking of wisteria, Barry and Kulster, what are you trying to do to your wisteria as well? Well, I have a double problem. Um, I've got a 20-year-old rose tree which I'm transferring from one side of the garden to the other. I've been digging a hole for the rose tree next to wisteria. I've noticed how big the roots are on the bottom of the hole where I'm digging for the rose tree. And I've been contemplating taking the wisteria out anywhere because they're, they're just too hard to manage. So my first question is, the, the wisteria's I have are on a pergolia. There's one in each corner, and the trunks are about four, about six inches diameter. bit similar to Bill that we've just been listening yeah, to, they're, yeah? they're 20 years old, and what I want to do is cut it down and kill the root system. So what's the best way to cut the wisteria down and to kill that root system because it's probably three or four metres from the house. And secondly, if by doing so, if I plant the rose bush um, just two or three metres away from them with steers within roots, you know, if I kill the root system, will that damage the soil where I'm going to put the rose bush? Can I firstly say, I think it's a great shame that you want to cut the wisteria's down because if they're managed reasonably, they're not hard work. It's own, you, cut, you prune them a couple of times a year. If you regularly do that, you know... They, you, they become manageable. They become manageable. It's yeah. because we don't do that that we let things run. But you are determined to get rid of the wisteria, are you? But, but I'm worried about the rooting system. When I've seen the roots that are growing, about inch, inch and a quarter diameter. Yeah. Um, Okay, well, the, the, the best way to deal with getting rid of any tree shrub climber or whatever it is, is is to, the quickest and easiest, is to dig it out. So I can't it, dig it out, it goes under the patio, that's impossible. I'm going to have to try and poison it or kill it or something like that. Well, it that. doesn't, if there are roots growing under the patio, that doesn't matter. If you can dig out the, the, the trunk, <laughs> it doesn't matter about the roots going off in either direction or any other direction. They, they will, once you've dug the, the plant out, they'll just rot off and die. It won't regrow from roots. It won't, yeah. Can I not just cut the tree and put something on the stump? Yes, you can. You can you can cut the tree down and then you can treat the stump with a stump killer. Uh, but basically all that does is that it kills the plant. It doesn't magically get rid of the stump. So It'll the stu- sit there for years, So the stump it? will sit there for at least two, three, four years... But will, uh, it, will it kill the root system? I can yeah, always yeah. dig a little bit deeper and cut the stump right yeah, out. But if I cut it down to about six inches long and then poison it with something, wouldn't that be yeah, the easiest no, way to do it? Well, no, what Jeff is saying is that if you cut it deep down into the ground, if you just go round it and then cut all the root off and remove the stump anyway, manually, it's easy. And the roots will not grow again. So you haven't got to worry about the roots at all. And if you use a stump killer, the the stump will will sit stay, there. Will, will sit there for two, three, four years, and if looking it's in, ugly, and looking ugly, and if it's in the way, you'll think to yourself, "Why the bloody hell didn't I didn't I <laughs> dig? Why didn't I why didn't I dig this out in the first place?" Yeah, I'm trying to think of the easy way around. It, the well, easy way is the easy way is to dig it out, but but not with great 
dig it. You haven't got to dig a four-foot hole around it. You've just got to dig down the side of the stump, cut the roots. You can use loppers. You can use a saw. You can use a, a, a spade. A spade, anything you like, and just chop these roots off that you say are an inch or so across, and it will clear it. And, and you'll have done it in a matter of hours rather than having to wait three or four years for it to completely go away. And that will kill the roots under the ground? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah of course Gone. it will. Of course it will. OK. Are you convinced? <laughs> Hopefully. I was, I was hoping to cut it about six inches from the ground, put some chemical on it and just let nature take care of itself. Well, nature, well, well, nature will take care of itself, but it'll take two, three, four years. And during those two, three, four years, you will have a six-inch stump sticking out of the ground. Okay. And the rose, <laughs> and you won't, if you use a stump remover, the answer is no, it will not affect the rose that you've got next to it, will it, Jeff? Uh, okay, fine. Providing which one you use. Yeah, be careful. So, by. by so which, which, which one should I use? Well, I'm not going to recommend one because I'm not. I'm not. I don't want you to. I don't want you to use it. I want you to, to spend a couple of hours this afternoon uh, building up a, a very healthy sweat and dig the thing out. That's the. That's the okay. that, you'll 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 love me afterwards for for, for recommending. Think, and I think you will. Plant of the week: rhododendron luteum, the yellow azalea or honeysuckle azalea, native to southeast Europe, southwest Asia. Also turns up in southern Poland and the Balkans, and right across into Russia. They can grow three to four metres high. They're slow to grow, they're deciduous, and their flowers, three to four centimetres across, sort of funnel shape, really bright yellow, strongly perfumed, and flowers in trusses of five up to 25. They really, they produce a seed, sort of capsules, and they're spread, but not the way that you would uh, reproduce them. You do it by layering, either layering or actually taking hardwood cuttings uh, during the summer. The perfume is fantastic. However, the nectar is toxic. And funnily enough, um, it's a native to Northern Europe, but does not have the problem that Ponticum has because it spreads like a weed. This is supposed to be. Um, but, you know, as I said, in Northern Europe, they grow it as a, as a naturalised plant. But here... The Royal Horticulture Society are a bit fussy about it and think it should be watched with care. The foliage um, colours up in autumn, goes a sort of yellow colour, um, and is best planted in a sheltered position, open, loamy soil, possibly sandy, but does like a bit of moisture and well-drained acid soil. What's the problems? Well, I'll tell you what the problems are. A bit of powdery mildew, sometimes gets scale, and if you plant it in a container... Watch out for vine weevil because vine weevil love all the rhododendron family. So they are rhododendron luteum. It is a fantastic shrub to have in your garden. Control it, prune it, but to tell you what, the perfume in spring into early summer is well worth it growing in your garden. Trevor, you're talking about black spots on your apple tree leaves. Have you yeah, got I'm apple just... tree leaves now or not? No, 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 in the, in the, in the summer. Ah. We, we haven't got leaves on the trees anymore. They're all, they've all gone. But uh, OK. It was an apple tree and a pear tree that we actually inherited when we moved into a new bungalow. Yeah. So we don't know much about them, but the fruit on them is absolutely gorgeous. But last year, we had to throw away sort of 80% of them and on the leaves, they had black spots, and the leaves actually curled up. And when you opened the leaves, um, you had some sort of white something in there. 
and um, we're like holes in the apples as well. Okay, right. you've you've got you've got about three or four it things has, going on there, Trevor. <laughs> and it's also uh, on the pear tree as well because they're right close together as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, but that, two this, different problems. <laughs> this is often the case when you have old fruit trees. Yeah. is that they are home to all manner of beasts and bugs. All oh, right. Um, and old old fruit trees uh, are renowned for having problems with the tree, which in some of the cases can also spread to the fruit. So, okay, so if we look at the the black spots on the leaves, um, without seeing the leaf, obviously, I, I can't give you a 100% definite ID, but that sounds like apple scab, which is a fungal disease, and it's actually apple and pear scab, so it uh, affects apples and pears. Um, There are no fungicides uh, available to amateur gardeners like you and me anymore, so there is nothing that you can spray onto the tree, even if you wanted to. Um, the only recommendation is <laughs> cleanliness. Is, is cleanliness. So you 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 do enough pruning of the trees to allow air to flow through, and if there's good airflow, there's possibly less likelihood of disease building up. Uh, all leaves that fall, particularly in the autumn, you rake up and dispose of, but not on the compost heap. But not on the compost heap because that will obviously mean that uh, it can spread through the compost. So that. that, is- that Somebody yep. did say uh, spraying with um, water and washing up liquid. Well, one, that's not going to do anything, and two, the washing up liquid is more likely to do damage than good. Oh, right. So it's not something that I would ever recommend using to spray any it's plant with. It's a detergent when all of a sudden... Yeah, a detergent, <coughs> detergent, the use of a detergent is to break down fat and grease, and all leaves right. have a fatty or a greasy layer on their outside to protect them from sun and wind, and so therefore you're damaging the leaves, which is just bonkers. Um, The curled leaves with the white things inside are more than likely... The white things are probably the remains, the the shed skins of leaf-curling aphids. So um, if you want to get rid of those, um, you need to do it early in the year. So you need to check, as with all pests and diseases, you check your plants on a regular basis and you act before the problem gets out of hand. So as soon as you start seeing leaves appear on the apple and pears, you check them you know, a couple of times a week. Uh-huh. And as soon as you start to see signs of the, the leaves curling, if you want to, you could try squashing them with your thumb. Um, you could try spraying them with a with a jet of water from a hose pipe, um, but that often just spreads them everywhere else. Oh, or you uh, or you can spray them with a, uh, a, an insecticide that is suitable for use on on edible crops. Yeah, I've got to be careful. A, I've got I've got a koi pond close by as well. So okay, yeah. Well, then you you can't use any of the chemicals that uh, that would get into the water. Uh, okay, so that was what was the other thing? Oh, no, the fruit. Really. Oh, the um, fruit. The fruit. Oh, the other thing is, yeah, I want to know how 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 I can trim them right back and when to do it. Not now. Well, <laughs> well, no, it could be worth thinning, couldn't yeah. it? Yeah. Thinning the main branches. But when we talk about thinning, it doesn't mean just chopping everything out. No, it's right. it's it's careful, careful looking. In fact, you nearly need two people. Get someone else out there and just say if i cut that one out do i keep the shape yeah. of my tree and it's more more using a saw to remove you know one yeah. or two large branches rather than using secateurs to, to snip away at everything yeah 
And then really come back to us in the summer. And certainly pruning, established old trees can lead to all sorts of problems. So it's it's something that you need to have an idea about what you're doing. Um, and the, and now, or was it? Well, yeah, winter pruning is a good time for apples and pears. Um, or you can do it in the summer. But if you do it in the summer, you've got lots of leaf. And obviously you've got all the leaves to, to clear up as well as the branches. And obviously... Yeah. Dead, diseased, dying and damaged, all those shoots, all those stems, all those branches should be completely removed anyway. And you'll find, you'll find on a lot of old trees, if they are very old, you get um, a, a, the, the bark will start to blister and come off, and that's canker, and a lot of old trees suffer with canker. Yep. However, what you need to see that if you prune and cut cankered trees that you then clean your tools that you're using which is a good rule of thumb anyway, anyway yeah uh, before you move on to your next tree in case you move it on and the damage to the fruits could be due to the um uh, to uh the canker yep or it could be due to um the apple and pear uh, rust or rust. all sorts of things that can yeah. cause problems and the holes in the fruit could be coddling moth damage or they could be winter moth damage um, or it could be sawfly damage lots of things It'd be worth trying fruit. coddling moth trap wouldn't it well if it is coddling moth yes worth a try yes if they it's don't cost moth. a lot though do they <laughs> yeah. no but if um, it's can you use a winter wash on it no there are no winter washes anymore that do any good no. Okay. All, all they're the good, very, they're very, very pretty, but they don't really help. All much. the good winter washes got taken off the market a few years ago. Right. Okay. Lovely. That's it. Thank do, you. Do you know we sound picture of doom and gloom, really, don't we? Because there are certain things in gardening that we've actually ended up with not a lot to help, and fruit trees are one that we cannot well, do well, too much to. Yeah, can we and there are maybe some organic gardeners that say, "Thank God for that." That they're, they're, all yeah. the chemicals are going off the market. But it might mean you have to eat holy, holy apples and um, scab apples, etc., etc. Exactly, yeah. But, uh, you know, you can always peel them, can't you? <laughs> yes. Not if they've got holes in Not them. No, you eat, them. you eat yeah. what's in there. Uh, let's go to Midge from Romford, who's given us a call. Don't forget that number to call. is 0800 4041. Hi, Midge. Hello, my dear. I've got a mysterious plant I've had given to me. And it's, um, you know the shape of ba- bamboo... It, it, you know, like a bamboo stalk. It, it, this is like, uh, it's about um, a foot high, and it's um, got these, like, ba- looks like a bamboo stalk. Are we indoor or outdoor? Can I just clarify, indoor outdoor, are we? Indoor. indoor. Right, OK. And it's got, like, bell-like white flowers. It's beautiful, it really is. And, I mean, I'm, I'm not very good at indoor plants, and I don't want to kill it because it's so lovely. But at the moment, I've got it in my kitchen, which is the coolest place in my in my house. Are the so flowers can... are the flowers close to the stem? Yes, yes, they are. Yeah, it sounds, like, that, sounds like an orchid. It's the orchid, isn't it? It's the it? I, I mean, can't I remember the name of it. Before it doesn't look at all like my orchid. No, there are lot, there are about forty thousand different <laughs> species of orchids, and they all look slightly different. So. No, I've got 30,999, have I? <laughs> <laughs> it's the one that flowers up the stems, yeah. isn't it? And it yeah. does look yes, just like right. a bamboo. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's one of the orchid species. So how do, how do I treat it? I mean, orchid food? <laughs> well, um, you need to keep it reasonably warm so your kitchen sounds good. It needs to be yeah. in reasonable light. So well, that's it. My kitchen's not bright. My okay. front room faces 
Um, the sun all day. I'll have yeah, that'll be, be that'll be that'll too be too that'll be too yeah. hot. It might be okay at this time of year because the yeah. sun's low and not too hot. But in the summer, yeah. it'll be too much. Have you got a conservatory? I have, but it's, it's uh, I can't get in it. Put it that way. Okay. We, we won't ask any more because a conservatory with its overall lights is, be is, best, is one of the best places for oh, orchids. Or a bathroom. Is your bathroom light? No, that... bathroom's in the dark. No, no, okay. okay. Sounds like the kitchen is the best place for it. Yeah. Uh, mist it. it need, the most important thing with orchids is to mist. So mist it at least a couple of times a day, every day. What does that mean, mist? Mist. Get a hand mister. You know, oh, the, I see, yeah. yeah, and mist the, all the leaves and the top of the growth with oh, with, te- right. with tepid water. Yeah. Uh, I, Watering is is less of an importance, but obviously you need to water as and when. Um, my yeah. orchids, I tend to water them about once a month, once every six oh, right. weeks. Yeah. I literally just dump them. I sort the... of touch the soil, and if it comes off on my fingers, that's that's wet, so I don't water it. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Uh, mm. You don't want to overwater orchids, yeah. but you certainly want to mist them because they love yeah. a, 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 a humid atmosphere. And, right. and when they're in flower, feed them once every yeah. three or four or five weeks with, a, yeah. ideally, an orchid fertiliser. All right. OK. Oh, well, thank you very much. That's it's so lovely that um, I was dying to know what it was. OK. Was and there was thank no you very la- much for your help. There was no label with it, Midge. Sorry? There no, no there label. No label. I don't know whether she took it off or whatever, but because um, that's the first thing I look for is my instructions yeah. because... You know, I can get enthusiastic about water. Yeah. <laughs> most people do, Midge. Most people do. We kill okay. most house houseplants through kindness. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's me. Thanks Thank very, very much. much. Thank you, Midge, for your call. That's oh eight hundred triple one forty forty one. I'm going to nip to an email now. Um, Martin Clark from Langen Langenho. Uh, do you know he's accused me of not answering this one, and I can remember it. So anyway. Okay. We'll answer it again, shall we? We've gone through a series of pictures. Now, he's, he's a distraught... Martin is a distraught man. He says... Um, he says that um, from Bay, Vi- Bay to Viburnum, nettle to Bindweed, the leaves have been eaten almost to their stalks. I've attached some photo examples. Some of the few plants weren't affected were apple and mint and buddleia. So they are. He's having a bad time in his garden. He really doesn't know what to do. So anyway... If we run through the pictures, we've okay. got a picture of a, a heart-shaped leaf on the ground with little holes in it. Yep. What's that? Okay, well, those little holes are all over the leaf, okay? Because when, whenever we do any plant ID or, yep. or pest ID, if we haven't got the pest in front of us, we have to go from telltale signs from what's on the plants. And it's all over, isn't and it? And so it's, we've got smallish, sort of brownish holes. Now, basically, from what we can see in the photo, that looks like capsid bug. Now, capsid bugs um, are, are a bit like an aphid in that they are sap suckers, but they have a bigger mouth part, a fatter Which mouth part. Which is why part. you end up with a hole, isn't it? So basically. when they pierce the leaf to suck the sap, they actually leave a tiny little hole. And they normally do it when the leaves are small and then as the leaf expands and grows so the hole expands and leaves this bigger hole in it um ca- would, capsid- would you spray for it well capsid bugs aren't always a problem they're often a problem on fuchsias and phygelius for instance where they can cause yeah. really unattractive the problem with them unlike aphids which stick to the plant and so they're a <laughs> they're a non-moving target capsid bugs move around 
So the only chemical, if you want to use a chemical that will be any good, is Bug Clear Ultra. Yeah. Okay. We'll move on. Just to remind that number, it's 0800 111 but I wanted to uh, look after Martin. Next one is a viburnum. Yep. Well, these on the on here we've got lots of leaf damage all over the leaf, and because it's a viburnum, this looks like viburnum beetle damage. Which Difficult is, one. Yeah, and it's specific to viburnum. Yep. And it doesn't attack all viburnum species, but it only attacks viburnums. Um, it's viburnum it, tinus, isn't it? That one. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, we've got a grub. So the, the, the adult lays an egg. The egg hatches into a grub. The grub eats, eats, the, leaves. eats the leaves. And again, it's <laughs> difficult to do anything apart from spray with an insecticide. Now, the Bug Clear Ultra will work. But if you can time your spraying, then you can use most of the other, like... Um, uh, Westland's uh, bug yeah, killer would, 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 yep. would kill really well. With all pests and diseases, the most important secret weapon in your arsenal against them is VAP. Do you know what VAP is, Ken? Is that looking at them? It is. Viewing? It's... it's it's actually looking Being at them at early. Early. Early, identification, early identification. Instant action and vigilance. Okay, so checking your go out in yep. your garden once a week. You do with a glass of wine. With a I glass know. of wine, yeah, or a cold beer. <laughs> yeah, I don't mind. I'm not fussy. What <laughs> what booze I drink, and and check your plants. The plants that you know are likely to get attacked, you should be checking on them regularly. As soon as they start growing, they're more likely to be attacked. If you stop an attack early, it won't become a problem. Can you prune the viburnum? Across yes, it, but yeah. to, does that help? And then eradicate, and then burn those, burn those uh, leaf. Well, it doesn't necessarily help because that's one of the methods they suggest, isn't it? Well, it's but only to make it look attractive. It's because you're going to get it? rid of all the damaged right. leaves. Okay, but you need to be vigilant with your plants. So vigilance, instant action, persistence, VAP. Right. Next one is a leaf. Well, no, well, that's the next one because uh, Martin's got the same list. Uh, is vine weevil, isn't it? Nice rounded holes. Okay, so isn't yeah, it? if you've got usually evergreens, it, the vine weevil beetle attacks. Um, and if you've got the leaf and and on the edges of the leaf, not in the middle of the leaf, only on the edges, edges. of the leaf, you've got a typical mouth shape chunk taken out of the edge of the leaf that is characteristic of uh, the vine weevil beetle, which also means that you've got the vine weevil. Sorry, vine weevil. weevil grubs in the soil or compost, and they eat the roots. So it's a it's a double ended attack from vine weevil. Um, you can treat um, soil and compost with a biological control, uh, something yeah. like um, Nemesis, which will then kill the vine, vine weevil, weevil grubs. Works, doesn't it? It works very well. You can go out at night. Uh, Hand pick? Yes. Cause, or tread on them? Yes, because the beetles are actually nocturnal. Or again, you can try spraying with Bug Clear Ultra. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. The next one was more holes round, some round the edges and some in the middle. Wasn't okay, it? so these are again raggedy holes yep. on the edge of the leaf, but also on the inside of the leaf, which can be slugs or snails. But this one to me looks like caterpillar damage. I think that's a um, a Prunus lusitanica. Okay, so like. yeah, okay, well that yeah, that, uh, lots of different types of uh, butterflies and moths will eat. 
a wide range of plants, and often it is moths. Yeah. And the caterpillars are small and green, and they're so you well, can't see you them. can't really see them. Uh, but again, going out regularly, checking, checking for, for damage. If you can see the caterpillars, you can squash them or move them, move, <laughs> move, them, them, away. move them somewhere else. If you're a lover of caterpillars, move them to somewhere else, but yeah. not in your garden. Um, then the next plant was similar, wasn't it? Uh, well, the next one, again, is, is edges uh, cut out yeah. on the edges of the leaves. So oh, that's no, a, that's... So that's another yeah. vine weevil. That's vine weevil. That's another vine weevil. Then we go down to a Mahonia. Yep. Which, again, is middle and edge, isn't Ragged, it? Raggedy holes. Yep. So, again, in theory, it could be slugs or snails. It could be caterpillars. But there is a reasonably new pest that attacks Berberis and Mahonias, because they're closely related, and that's Berberis sawfly. So again, can't so, tell whether it is or you're not from the picture, no, can we? No, but I, I'm, I'll... I'll Take a stab it that it's Berberis sawfly from what I can see on the on the eating marks on the leaf. Then we got two more pictures which aren't that clear of what the plants are, but they've got holes in middle, haven't they? They've, in fact, they've holes taken out, holes, ta yeah, yeah, left the veins yeah. of the of the plant. So those, both of those again look like caterpillar damage. Again, they could be slug or snail, but I, uh, that definitely looks like caterpillars to me. And I hope that's answered you, Martin, and you're listening because that's um, that's done everything for you. So they are. That number to call is 0800 111 That's the number to call. And uh, don't forget that as from next week, we've got a new little feature. It's a mini feature that we're going to pop into the programme once a month. Andrew Toakley, who's um, used to come onto the programme on a regular did, basis, yes. didn't he? Yeah. He's now, um, what, well, horticultural Director at King Seas, he's going to uh, join us just on the phone and give you ideas because we hear a lot about people starting vegetable growing. And he's going to come on once a month at the end of the month to tell you what to do in the coming month, what you would be ideal to do if you started up a vegetable garden. So that's going to come next week. So listen out for that on the last Saturday of the month. Well, I, I reckon with the increase in popularity in, in veganism, with Brexit and, and food prices increasing and the the fears over... I think he was transporting a stay in EU man here. <laughs> well, it's got nothing to do with that, but basically I think there's going to be a lot more people thinking yes. about growing, growing vegetables. No, I think it's going to be absolute, a very popular yeah. thing. Yeah. They are, so they are. Listen out for that. Call 0800 4041. Text Essex to 81333. Tweet at BBC Essex. This is BBC Essex. Just a reminder as well that this programme goes out on a podcast which is available through BBC Sounds and uh, listen out for that. It's got extra tips on what to do in the garden, plant of the week and even more. So they are listen out for that. That's well worth catching up with if you haven't caught the whole programme here on BBC Essex. What's your plant of the week for this week? Or is it, or is it a, I'm se not it's a secret? You, it's a secret. Yeah, well, I'll have to tune in. And don't forget, we're here on FM and DAB, not forgetting smart speakers you just have to go and wind up radio as oh, well even what yeah, yeah you've they've gone out of popularity a bit haven't they wind up some, radio? some and some yes have you got a wind up radio no, no no i've never had one no i've got a wind up torch <laughs> before we go to neville in rain which I'd, always winds me up because it never works at least uh, neville in rain has given us a call and i'll go to you in just a minute but i'd like to do one of these texts has come in as well on 
81333, Pop Essex on the front. I have several cyclamen planted in the last few years, but none of them have flowered. Any help would be appreciated. Now, are we taking it that these are outdoor cyclamen? Do we? The thing is, we don't know. The do fact we? that he said planted Did. suggests they're outdoor. They're outdoor. Otherwise, but, he would have said, "I've bought." But you know what worries me is that people buy those ones that are sold in garden centres that people put in planters yep. and think that they will survive and keep plant keep flowering, but which they won't because they're not designed. Um, they're really designed as a house plant. I don't know who that is. Perhaps, um, perhaps uh, we could. Perhaps we could give them a ring. That's about the cyclamen, and we could perhaps check that out and see what it is, see if we can get back to them Yeah, because cyclamen that. is one of those plants that you've got the indoor house plants, which to some extent are fairly hardy. They're like a nice yeah, cool room. Yeah. They'll take temperatures down to sort of four, six, eight centigrade. You've got the really hardy cyclamen, which, you know, are, are bulletproof, and they're fabulous for flowers outdoors. And then you've got the intermediaries, that, as you say, are often sold by garden centres as a bedding plant for the winter. And some winters they can grow fine out in containers and some winters they won't survive at all. So there's lots of different types of cyclamen and um, getting to the bottom of which one is which always helps us work out what the answer is. So they be. are, if you're listening, give us a call now and we will discuss it. Let's go to Neville in rain. Hello, Neville. Hello, Ken. What are we talking Thank about you- today? Well, I heard you talking about Mahonia pests. Yes. During the week, ours is on, we've got a winter sun one, which is on fire beautifully. Mm-hmm. And during the week, we had a female black cap, and she was merrily pecking away at the flowers, or, or what we, we presume she was pecking at the flower petals. But, you know, the pleasant pest, really, rather than a, a nasty one, really. <laughs> so okay. I'm just wondering yeah. what, They're quite what sweet, think, aren't they? What do you think she was after? I mean... Was she was she after the pollen or? I would imagine that. Uh, I mean, you get often, you, sweet, you often get lots of birds mm. um, pecking at flowers. Um, you know, primroses and primulas uh, are often prone to, to massive attacks. It's often that um, they're just after a source of water because obviously you get beads of water settling in the petals. Quite often with primulas in the spring, you get sparrows and thrushes biting it or pecking at them for the water it could be the fact that because it is winter flowering and they produce a lot of nectar and obviously nectar yeah. is is very sugary it's got lots of energy because of the sugar it's very sweet that may have dissolved in any moisture that's sitting in the in the flowers so it may well be that i would imagine it, it's either the water or or the sugary nectar water yeah, I mean, we've had one in the garden, you know, where the male black cat several years ago. Yeah. But we obviously put some apples out, um, and that, that was feeding on the apples. But I've never seen, you know, the black cat go after the mahonia flowers. No, I, it, I think... I oh, know, it's, it's not... It's, I haven't particularly seen it before, have you? No, but, and it's it's well, it's, it's pretty unusual to have a black cap in, in the garden anyway. But to actually <laughs> go after mahonias, but I, I would imagine that's what it is. It's it's they're after either a little bit of extra moisture, um, or they're after a little bit of sweet sugar to to give their um, sweet tooth a bit of a going over. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thanks a lot. Thank, Thank you. Thanks, Thank you very much for your call. And it's it. I mean, birds do take flower, don't they? Mm. You know, often strip them. Yeah, and, and I mean, they you know they will also peck flowers if they've got pests on them. But I 
it's unlikely that there would be many pests on your Mahonia at this time of year. OK, let's go to another um, another text here. And this is from... Doesn't say, but I can't, I can't read the bottom of it. But we won't worry about that. That number to call, just a reminder, 0800 4041 if you'd like to have a chat about your garden. Morning, Ken. I've received, as a gift, potted two-foot standard bay tree. It's lovely, healthy. Looking forward to nurturing it and having for many years. But with this cold weather, frosty, wet, windy, can I put it next to my front door in front garden in a ceramic pot? Graveled area, slightly sheltered with trees and plants. Right now it's outside the back door, sheltered porch, but nobody can see it. Much a pre... Oh, I see, yes. <laughs> I thought he was worried about it being nicked. <laughs> but no, you, you would... It's a welcoming sight as you go towards your front door, yes? Um... Second query, uh, what do you do about roses which still have leaves, buds on them? Should I cut them off? That might just rot in this weather. Thanks again. So with the bay tree, the answer is yes. Yes, yeah, if, it? if it's already outside the back door. Put it around <laughs> the front door. Well move it around the front door. I mean, the only thing that can happen to bay trees, if, if you get cold weather, if you get strong wind, you can get a little bit of leaf burn. That's all the only thing that would happen. Yeah, if we, we, well, in a container, obviously, yeah. the, the roots are more prone to, to freezing. If we get you know temperatures below freezing, you know, minus one, two, three, four, five. Um, and yes, wind can be even more damaging than cold weather to evergreens. So just have some horticultural fleece to hand. And if there is severe cold or strong cold winds forecast, just pop outside and throw it over the plant to give it um, all the protection that it will need. And that's whether it's out the front or the back. Doesn't matter, does it? Um, As for roses, yes, a lot have kept... Leaf. Yeah, because of the yes. mild winter. I mean, I know I was walking around gardens this week and, in fact, there's a lot of bud on roses and, mm. in fact, they sort of open up. They're not a bit half-hearted in their opening, aren't they? And I've, I've seen a few flowers. Yeah, but still. they look quite nice, the, the yeah. flowers, don't yeah. they, at this time of year? So what do we do? Do we worry? Do the weather... We put up, I just enjoy them for now and prune them a bit later on myself. Well, uh, you know, hybrid teas, floribundas and uh, New English roses uh, need... Annual pruning, not yep. so much the New English roses, but definitely the hybrid teas and floribundas. Um, and that is done traditionally at the end of February, early March. Uh, but I, as, we, as we've already mentioned at the beginning of the programme, plants don't have diaries, so they don't know when they're supposed to start growing. No. Nope. You know, they don't say, oh, yes, March the 1st, first day of spring, I better start growing. So I, I find it's a lot easier to look at the plant, and when you see the leaf buds beginning to break... That is the plant telling me that it's decided it's time to grow and to my mind that's the time to prune. So hard pruning of hybrid teas and floribundas late February, early March or earlier depending on the weather, that's going to get rid of all that rubbishy tax. You're quite a traditional then uh, pruner of roses because a lot of people now prune them in the autumn, don't they? Yeah, but why? Well, I agree. I mean, I just top them in the autumn because you don't get any advantage through pruning in the autumn at all, do you? Well, you get disadvantage. Yes, because you get soft growth, which can then be damaged. Yeah, or if you are hard pruning, as you should do, and then afterwards you get a severe cold spell... Not that we we get them very often, but if that happens... <laughs> back to his weather. It could get into the cut. It could kill any of the remaining buds. And because you've pruned them hard, you haven't got very many buds left. 
autumn weather comes along, kills them, your, your plants up the swanny. Yes, we'll be back to those questions in just a moment. But right now on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Jeff, what do we got? OK, well, we're going to start off with pruning our wisterias, because it's that time of year. Uh, wisterias are basically pruned twice a year, in summer and in winter. Uh, and December, January are good times to do your winter pruning particularly if you want your plants to absolutely flower their heads off this year. Now, a lot of people have left a lot of those twiddly bits that grew even last summer, haven't yeah. they? Yeah, well, that, that, it's done twice a year. The, the summer pruning is basically to cut back all that leafy growth to around five or seven leaflets from where it joins the uh, main stem. And that's basically to <laughs> tidy the plant up and stop it whizzing off in all directions. Um, the winter pruning is to prune back those shoots that you pruned in the summer really hard back to about one or two buds or half an inch or three quarters of an inch long the idea being a bit like when you summer prune fruit trees is you you are building up flowering spurs and those flowering spurs are where you are going to get your flowers um a lot of people, when they've you know, just bought a new plant, they always say, oh, how do I prune for flowers? When you've got a new plant, you know, one or two in its first one or two years, you don't want to be worrying about pruning for flowers. Basically, what you need to be doing training, is it? training it to cover its support. So don't panic about the, uh, about the, the winter pruning. Train the shoots in. Give it a nice structure that it covers the support brilliantly. And then when that's achieved, then you can start worrying about pruning for all those fabulous late spring and early summer flowers. Because they are, I mean, superb plant, aren't they? Absolutely. And yeah, I think yeah. just on the back of that, uh, don't you think, Jeff, that we should say that if you're buying one, don't scrimp. No, no, no. Spend you, the right sort of money. Yeah. They're not going to be under £10, are they, ever? No, 15 16 is, is often the minimum. Because if you buy a cheap one... That's right. What's the reason? Well, you'll, you'll probably be buying a seedling. Yep. And seedlings can take 10, 15, 20 years to come into flower. And when they do, the flowers can be really poor and miserable. So buy a decent one. You want a grafted plant, your grafted variety. You check at the bottom of the, of the plant where it comes out of the of the compost and you should see a kink where the variety has been grafted onto a rootstock and that's really what you absolutely need and if not asks yes ask yeah very important yeah What's your next tip? Don't then? buy a seedling. No. Uh, well, my next tip is, I, I don't know about you, but last year I was asked an awful lot about what's the problem on my peach tree or my nectarine tree. A lot of people was, were sending me photos of leaves that were all initially puckered green yep. and then turned a lovely red colour <laughs> and then often then turning white. I'm wondering what the problem is. But you have to act now. You do, because this is peach leaf curl, a fungal disease which also attacks nectarines. Um, in recent years, any fungicides that we had that we could use to protect our trees against peach leaf curl have disappeared. There are now no approved fungicides for use, well, for use on any edible crop. So you've got to try and use other means. And the simplest way of protecting your peach trees from peach leaf curl is hopefully, well, if, if they are 
uh, fan trained or wall trained that's the easiest because what you need to do is you need to prevent rain splashing the soil underneath the tree because that splashes the the disease spores back, back on to yep. the leaves so if it's um, fan trained on a wall the easiest thing to do is that you can make a little wooden framework out of battens on the wall and then extend away from the wall a polythene cover or tent to basically cover the whole tree so that when it does rain, it hits the plastic and it doesn't hit the soil and so therefore you don't get the splash back. The other advantage of that is that it creates quite a nice little warm atmosphere underneath the polythene. Uh, so a be- bit of protection. bit of protection for the flowers. Mm. And then, you know, it'll be nice under there. The bees will want to go in and out because it's, it's not closed at the sides. It's only sort of pulled over the plant. Um, and you'll get the bees coming in. You'll get lots of good pollination. If it's a freestanding tree, a little bit more tricky, but you might need to try and... Uh, make a framework of you know um, two by two wood or even just use bamboo canes to try and support a polythene sheet like or a cover over it yeah. really. Um, but that's really about the only thing that we can do if you do get affected leaves then if it's only one or two do it early check your your peaches and your nectarines early in the year pull off any affected leaves to, to try and stop the spread thanks very much jeff I was going to talk about um, shriveled dahlias, but we'll, oh, don't, we'll go. Don't talk about shriveled things. So we'll talk to Lynn, shall we, instead? Hello, Lynn. Hello. What can we to you all. What right, have you um, got? I moved, I've moved into this house. Yes. 1933, so you can imagine what the garden's like. Great big long garden. Good. Um, the front garden has got all these old shrub bushes down one side, um, and amongst them is this bush. It's got some green leaves on it and it's got some fruit on it that looks like a golden delicious apple. Right, okay. Um, and all the birds, I've got hundreds of sparrows in it. Um, it's about eight eight foot high now, but whoever lived here before had kept it trimmed back. But we're thinking of wanting to dig it up because there's another one further down the garden that just sticks and stalks, do you know what I mean? And that looks like something like an elderberry type thing <laughs> it's lovely this uh if it right let's go for the elderberry i class elderberry in any garden as a weed that's my right, personal okay. opinion so if it is right. an elder i don't know what jeff thinks i mean uh, we're talking about the elderberry that is a w- normal side of the road hedgerow elderberry however there are unfortunately some there's some ornamental been, varieties. There's some ornamental varieties. Yeah, which are quite attractive. If it's a big green thing that's high, straight stemmed, nasty thing, wait till it flowers. You'll know it's an elderberry. If it's got the white flower, I would chop it down to the ground or dig the blooming thing out. Dig it out. Well, there's a few leaves on it now. That, yep. well, I suppose there must be about a dozen leaves where they've come out and they've got sort of two or four or five leaves on each bit. And are they green? They're green? They're they're green. green. Yeah, they're green. But the, the rest of it is just brown stalks, like a straight thing, you, like yellow, like, but just... could be anything. <laughs> yeah, it could be anything. It could be anything. I'd wait till the spring for that one before you get rid of right. that. Now, go back to the apples. Let's go back to apples, shall we? Right. How big yeah. are the apples? Are they small, lots of small apples? No. And... No. They're about or a bit bigger than a Saxuma-type apple. And is this a tree with a stem or is it Not a, a tree, shrub? It's a bush. It's, it's a bush, shrub. shrub. Yeah. And has it got any flower showing at all at the moment? 
No, it's just got green leaves on the top. The rest of it is like dead, as I call it. No, nothing on it, but it's got some green leaves on it. Um, somebody said it's something called a meddler. A meddler. Meddler. Could, could be a meddler. Could be could be a, a Japanese quince. No, it's not a quince. You cut it in half, and it's like an apple inside. Which is how a which is how a a, a, which is how a quince would look quince like. Quince is the same. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but a quince has got loads of pits. Hasn't yeah, it? but the Japanese quince is different. It's a different species. It's Shinomi. Anyway, what's the question? Shall she <laughs> well, get rid I of want, it? I want to get rid of it. <laughs> Why do you want to get rid of it? It's, it's got nice apples. It it must be flowering at certain times. But yes, but the fence between mine and next door's that we want to replace, yep. goes through these, these shrubs are grown through it. Their oh. garden is just uh, is just lawn and nothing else and all the street rubbish goes. OK, well, then... Just chop them get, back. Get rid of them then, dig them out. Yes, they can be dug out, can they? Oh, yeah, and the absolutely. other plant I've got is a buglia yes. that's in the middle of them, but it's yellow. Okay. And I want to keep that. OK. Is it a yellow long, long flower or round yes. flower? No, long flower, like okay. a lilac. Good. Like a lilac, but yellow. Right. Well, you can cut that down to the ground later on, can't you? Well, cut, don't, well, say, don't say it down to the no, ground. No, no, I was a bit, sorry, I was a bit over the top there. Cut it back hard by about half now right. and dig it up yeah. now and move it now. Right. Well, that one hasn't really got to be moved. Cause it's oh, well, just cut it in half then. Cut it in half then. Cut it in half. No, but don't do it now. Wait until March. Yes. Wait until March, and then all last year's growth cut back by uh, by at least two-thirds, if not more. OK, because it's got some new leaves coming on it. It will have. It will, it will have, because it's mild, but your best time to prune, and it is a good idea to prune buddly as every, every spring. The best time to prune is the end of March, early April. All oh, right, okay. Because the, the two big bushes, one by the window and the one halfway up, is is crowding this buddlier in. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think what you might be worth doing is if you take pictures of all these shrubs and you want information, you could send them in. Either you can send right. pictures in, you could send it by email if you're if you're on a, an email person, or you can send them yeah. by you know all sorts of means. Yeah, what do you think? Okay. Pigeon. Yeah, right. I'll go out there and take some pictures then. All right, we'll have a look. I'll go out and see. And take... All right. Uh, Thank Nothing. you, Lynn. Thank you, Lynn. And we'll identify them as best we can. We're going to go to dahlias now. Shriveled dahlia. I dug up my dahlia tubers late autumn for the first time for five years. That was a mistake because this year's mild, isn't it? Because don't, I didn't have the... don't say that, Crowther. <laughs> it is not a mistake to dig up your dahlia tubers. No, OK. You've done the right thing. No, well, that's the thing that we would, in theory, recommend. But a lot of it. Mind you, around here, clay soil can be a bit wet for them. Precisely. Right. So he did the right thing. Didn't have time to clean them, store them. They've shriveled. I'm not sure what to do with them now to give up the best possible chance of survival. They are currently in trays and pots with some earth still on them as it was wet when I... Ah, you see, it's a wet garden. garden. So so you've done the right thing, thing, Chris. Last time I dug my dahlias up, I put them in cardboard boxes, sealed them early spring, looked at them and they'd all shriveled, but I put them in sand, kept the sand moist and moist and they survived. What should I do now? I have about 40 different lots, so don't want to lose them. Well, he should remember next year to put them in sand again because that's the best way way to store them. I use tepid water. Well, I would... uh, Hang on a second. Just for for just as a reminder for everybody oh, this yes. year, yes. 
is that when you are going to lift your dahlia tubers to make sure they've got the best chance of surviving the winter, do wait until they get frosted. Don't lift them before... Or cut them back too early. Or cut them back before the first frost blackens the foliage. That first frost is vital... Seals for, the stems. ...for curing the tubers. Yeah. And if you do it too early, there's a chance that they will rot um, or, or shrivel. Now... Tepid water? Tepid water. Bucket of tepid water. Soak them all in it. Soak them in it. How Make... long would you leave them in there? You can leave them in there quite a time, actually. Uh, not overnight. Not overnight. I mean, you know... A couple of hours? A couple of hours. But make sure that the level of the water isn't over the crown of the plant. So where the buds will normally start growing from the base of last year's stem... You don't want the water to go Do not it. cover those. So that's the first thing to do. And another thing to, rem to remember next year, when or this year when you lift them. Wash them off. Wash them off. Yeah, give them a bit of a time to but get all the soil But that's all you can off. do for them, and they should plump back up, Depen shouldn't they? Depending on how far back they've, they've shriveled, there is a good chance, or a very, very good chance, that they will plump up. But if they don't, within, say, four hours... I'm afraid you can try carrying on and hanging on to them and try and bring them into growth with warmth and take any shoots that develop, take, take, those, cuttings. take those as cuttings. But if they've gone too far, then, you know, they've, they've gone too far. So now, best of luck with that. And let's, uh, let us hear, tell us what goes yeah, on. Absolutely. That's what we want to yeah. know is success stories. Or, fa um, or failure stories. Yeah, or failure stories. That's very true. I grow mini cucumbers. Not this isn't me personally. This is Christine Stringer in Bickenacre. And each year I get crunchy leaves that go silver, although they start off really well. Almost most of the new cucumbers wither and die. Is it too hot in the greenhouse? And would I do better growing them outside? Would it be worth cutting them back to restrict the number of babies they produce? Oh, cucumbers. A, there's a long question that for you. That is a long question in okay, cucumbers. I would say your best bet is to keep them in the greenhouse. You've got, Definitely. You've got far better chance of, of good success in the greenhouse. But greenhouses can get too hot and too sunny, so you should always put a shading wash over the glass to reduce the amount of sunlight coming in during the summer months and reduce the temperature. Your silvery, crinkly leaves sound like either overheating, uh, burning through sunlight and or powdery mildew disease, all of which are symptoms of it being too hot and too sunny. So the screening wash on the outside of the glass... Make sure that you increase the humidity in the greenhouse. Cucumbers are best planted or grown at the non-door end, so as far away from the door as possible. And every morning during a warm, sunny period during the summer, you go out there with your watering can full of water and you use the whole watering can by splashing it all over the gravel, the paths, wherever, to increase the humidity. And increasing the humidity will give the cucumbers a better uh, environment. It'll reduce the likelihood of powdery mildew and red spider mites, and it will be better for the cucumbers, the crop themselves. Do you grow... Because you, you've got a little greenhouse. Yeah, Do you yeah, grow yeah. mini yeah, cucumbers? Yeah. Well, not minis. I, I you grow the big ones. Grow proper, 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 proper size. And do you use, uh, do you use um, all females? Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. All F1 Why varieties. do people not grow all females? <laughs> um, is there, is there... there is a good reason in that a, a non-all female variety is what we would call a ridge 
cucumber. Which you can grow outside, which can't you, you? Which, well, which you have to grow outside. Yeah, they won't grow they're, they're inside no good, at all. They're no they? good in, in greenhouses. And to be perfectly honest, they have the better flavour. If you're after that old-fashioned, in inverted commas, cucumber flavour that a lot of us now don't like because it's too strong, <laughs> yes, um, then, like then, then those are the best ones for a good cucumber. But you, they're, they're not as big, they're not as easy to, to look after and not as easy to grow. And for, sorry, I was going to say busy people, but lazy people like me, F1 varieties are far better. So they are. Just briefly, we've got a few minutes, and the cyclamen thing that we were talking about earlier, we yep. just wanted to cover. If you were growing outdoor cyclamen, you can buy some varieties now growing in containers, can't you? In Which pots. is the best way to grow them. And that would be cyclamen, because you've got... Well, there's you've different got species. You've got coom, you've got hedro hedro hedrofolia with lovely foliages. There's, there's three or four different good species of hardy cyclamen that if you plant all three or all four of them, you'll get flowers in your garden from August all the way through to April. Coom is my favourite because that's the winter flowering, so that's in full flower now. Um, it's better to buy plants than the tubers because the Much tubers better. are often too dry and they don't grow. And so also birds and things pick them out, don't they? Yep. Um, and they need a good moisture retentive soil and they need shade. So under under trees and shrubs in a nicely sort of moist, not wet soil, but a moist soil with reasonable amounts of light but not strong burning sunlight are far better for hardy cyclamen. And I'm, I'm guessing that the gents either bought tubers that are still struggling to establish. Because that is a problem, isn't it? I yeah. mean, they, they do really struggle. Or it's too hot or it's too dry during the, the winter. Conversely, they don't like to be overly wet during the summer. So if you're growing them where you might be growing summer bedding plants and you're watering your summer bedding plants or summer, that's not a great position for hardy cyclamen because they get too wet during the summer months when they should be dormant and dry. But well worth growing. Oh. If you've got a shady area in your garden, yeah, I mean, and, you can't have anything better, can And you? some of the coombe varieties now have got big leaves with marbling, silvery white marbling, mottling. Um, and so it's it's not only a flowering plant, it's a fabulous foliage plant. And they seed themselves. So you soon get, if you plant a few, you soon get this complete and utter carpet of leaves and flowers for months on end. Brilliant plants. Thank you very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, if you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme. Take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. If you have a gardening question for us, why not join us next week? Give us a call next Saturday morning from 11 on 0800 111 40 41 and be part of the programme.